Let's turn also to the New Testament book of uh, Romans, uh, the 16th chapter, and we'll begin to read at verse 17 uh, through the end of the chapter. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all, therefore I am glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my countrymen, greet you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church, greet you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you, and Quartus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. We've been working our way through the Belgic Confession, Article 1, considering the attributes of God as confessed there. I'll read that article again it's on page 153, our book of forms and prayers, concerning the only God. We all believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that there is a single and simple spiritual being whom we call God, eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, unchangeable, infinite, almighty, completely wise, just and good, and the overflowing source of all good. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is almighty and uh, completely or perfectly wise. And God's power and wisdom are frequently uh, joined together in Scripture. We read from Job 12. We find it there. We uh, find it in the ninth chapter of Job in the fourth verse where we read, God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and prospered? A few uh, verses on the same theme in chapter 12, verse 13. With him are wisdom and strength. Likewise, in verse 16, with him are strength and prudence. The deceived and the deceiver are his. Wisdom and might are his. Are confessed. That's confessed in Daniel chapter 2, verse 20. And I could cite numerous other places where God's power or might and his wisdom are joined together. Uh, thankfully, they are joined together. If God were almighty, but without wisdom, his power would be only frightening to us. But God is our God and our Father, and he is wise. And that means that he is more than all-knowing. Certainly God knows all things. But wisdom, according to Scripture, 
is not just an intellectual uh, characteristic. Uh, the devil is clever. Uh, he's uh, wise in the sense of being uh, shrewd and crafty uh, like a serpent. He is uh, called that old serpent, but that doesn't mean that he's wise. Uh, wisdom is a moral attribute. A truly wise man is always a good man. Those things are never separated in people. J.I. Packer uh, says that wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest good together with the surest means of attaining it. And uh, that description of wisdom, though it applies to people, certainly is likewise uh, true of God. God uh, devises, he sees, he pursues the highest good. And that is his glory. And he manifests his glory in a way that is astounding as it displays his wisdom in the way that he achieves it. Our God is wise. Our God is gloriously wise. Uh, we want to begin by considering the fact that God is matchless in wisdom. He has no rival. He is altogether unique. Uh, Romans uh, 16 concludes with the words, To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. There are other uh, passages and uh, they are characteristically in the form of doxology that ascribe unto God not only wisdom, but as a unique, matchless wisdom. In First uh, Timothy 1, verse 17, for example, we read now to the King, eternal, immortal, the only wise God, be glory forever and ever. Or we find similar uh, language in the concluding doxology of the letter to Jude, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and dominion. Now, it's true that wisdom is a communicable attribute of God. In other words, uh, wisdom, uh, uh, properly understood, is something that God imparts to creatures in a creaturely way in a very measured, in a very limited way. Uh, but God's wisdom is, of course, in a category all its own, because it is absolute and it is perfect. He is completely wise. He is unsearchably wise. In other words, his wisdom is so profound in its infinite and transcendent greatness that no creature will ever be able to fully comprehend uh, the depths of the wisdom of God. In order to do so, we would have to be God. We would have to have uh, his own infinite wisdom, even to perceive it in its fullness. But God's wisdom certainly gloriously reveals him as the sovereign Lord. And we're going to consider that. We're going to consider that in broad strokes as uh, we're given themes in Scripture that uh, extol his wisdom in his specific works. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter uh, 10, verse 12, for example, speaks of God's absolute transcendence and uniqueness as the creator whose wisdom is displayed in creation. 
In verse 11 of this chapter, we read, The gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He has made the earth by His power and has established the world by His wisdom and has stretched out the heavens at His discretion. You notice again that power and wisdom are joined together there and here in connection with the with creation. And uh, this is a, a theme of the Psalms. Psalm 136, O give thanks uh, to the Lord, and it extols God for His creative power and works. To Him who by wisdom made the heavens. Or we could t- turn to uh, that psalm that uh, we've already sung from, Psalm 104. It says that uh, in verse 4, You who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be removed forever. There God's wisdom is extolled. Likewise, in verse 24, specifically, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. Or Psalm 147. In verse 5 we read, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. And the previous verse describes how God's understanding and wisdom and power is revealed in uh, His sovereignty and absolute knowledge of His creation. It says He counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. And so creation is a theme of uh, Scripture in which the, the wisdom of God is displayed before us. And the way in which the Bible extols the wisdom of God in creation ought to teach us a kind of reserve, a kind of humility in the way we speak about how God created the world. And we ought to be careful to stick with the Bible's account and testimony of it rather than endangering ourselves perhaps by uh, somehow seeking to speculate as to the manner in which God created the world. We can't get behind the text. And we ought to be careful that we uh, do not devise human models of how God created the world according to our scientific assumptions, rather than content ourselves with the way the Bible itself reveals God's creation. And what we cannot understand, we adore, we worship, we wonder at God's ways. God is great in wisdom as revealed in His creation. And in His providence, Psalm 147 also says, The Lord lifts up the humble, and He casts the wicked down to the ground. And that's really another another biblical theme in which the wisdom of God is uh, put on display. It's, it's put on display in God's judgments. God's judgments over people. And nations. We heard that in, uh, in Job chapter 12, in verse uh, 16 and following. With him are strength and prudence. He leads counselors away plundered. He makes fools of the judges. He loosens the bonds of kings and binds their waist with a belt. He leads princes away plundered and overthrows the mighty. He deprives the trusted ones of speech and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on princes and disarms the mighty. The Bible often extols the way in which God completely overturns 
the so-called wisdom and power of human rulers that appear to be invincible, that appear to be in control, and they're brought to nothing. And God displays his power and wisdom in the way he does that constantly. That's why it's important to read the whole Bible, by the way. That's why it's important to read the, the historical books and see how God raises up people. And he gives them power over others to do his will, and then he brings them down. It's a theme that's repeated again and again and again. Look at the book of Judges. God disciplined his people for their idolatry by what? Making them subject to other nations who ruled over them and who oppressed them. And when they called upon God in their distress, what does the Lord do? He raises up a judge and he overthrows their oppressors. It happens again and again and again through the book of Judges. For one example, think of how God disciplined David for his sin of adultery and murder by raising up an enemy from his own household, his own son, Absalom, who gained power, who gained access, who gained control of the throne, and David was expelled. And then God defeated Absalom. And he did so by by turning the the wisdom of uh, his wise counselor, Ahithophel, into foolishness. And he defeated Absalom. 1 Corinthians 1 in the New Testament, uh, verse 19, says, quoting scripture, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. To those, and then verse uh 24, or rather it's uh, verse 24 of, of uh, Job 12, where we read that he takes away the understanding of the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a pathless waste. We see this wisdom of God displayed also in the book of Esther and the oppression of uh, the, the people under the Persian king and the, the plots of Haman to have them utterly exterminated. And it seemed that his scheme was going to be successful. And that, and then God completely overturned things by very interesting details of his working and delivered his people and destroyed uh, the one who plotted against them for their destruction, that wicked Haman who was hanged on the gallows that were intended for Mordecai. Marvelous accounts of God's judgments revealed in scripture. The power of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, who destroyed one nation after another. But we know from Scripture that he was an instrument in God's hand to accomplish God's purpose. And when that purpose had been fulfilled, what did God do? He raised up the Medes and the Persians to destroy Babylon. And we can survey the wisdom of God because his word interprets it for us. It's displayed before us in living color, you might say in fascinating details. And we see the end results of events that appeared for a time, and sometimes for a very long time, events that appear to be in the control of people under earthly powers. And often events from the perspective of those who experience and suffer under such earthly powers seem to be confused and random and pointless and then God's wisdom shines out in a way that we're able to see in Scripture, in ways that many of the people uh, who were 
involved in God's providential dealings never saw, but we're able to see how the story ends time and time again. And the lesson for us, brothers and sisters, is to trust God and to trust in him when his ways are confusing or painful, baffling, to believe in God's wisdom, his power. God shows his wisdom also through affliction and through the testing of, of, of the saints. And the speech of Job in chapter 12 is in answer to his so-called friends with their simplistic explanation for his suffering, right? Job must have been some kind of a hypocrite, some kind of an evildoer. It was obvious to them, but they were so mistaken. And the truth is that God's wisdom was at work in uh, the book of Job on a way that's much uh, deeper than they even imagined, and in a way that we know is also hidden from Job himself. He didn't understand the nature of that conflict. Uh, he was not uh, privy to the opening uh, chapter in the exchange between the Lord and Satan and how God was confounding Satan's slander against Job and against God by provoking, moving God to afflict him in order to demonstrate that Job uh, did not serve God simply because of the benefits that he received from him, but in true faith and love. We know that, but Job, in the midst of his sufferings, didn't know that. God's ways often remain hidden from God's children in terms of their details. That's often the way it is. Think of Joseph while he was imprisoned for being upright, for being a man of integrity and refusing to succumb to uh, temptation. And he suffered for it. And yet we know that not only uh, the treachery of his brothers and selling him into Egypt, but also the circumstances that landed him in prison were all intended by God to raise him up and exalt him in a position where God would use him uh, to save not only Egypt from famine, but surrounding nations, including God's own people. And many human actors meant it for evil. God meant it for good. He was working his own deep purposes with never-ending skill. Deep and unfathomable minds of never-failing skill. He treasures up his deep designs and works his sovereign will. And that also then means for us, brothers and sisters, that our wisdom, our creaturely wisdom before such a great God is to revere him, to stand in awe of him, and to trust in him. That doesn't mean that we can uncover the secret purposes of God. The book of Job also speaks of that in the 28th chapter. From where does wisdom come and where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all the living and concealed from the birds of the air. But the chapter ends with the conclusion of the matter in terms of what God's wisdom means for us. God declares wisdom. And to man, he says, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. And we'll consider later that wisdom for us, indeed, is is very practical. In the meantime, we can be confident that all things, as Roman 8 says, all things work together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. All things work together. Why? How could that be? 
Because God is working in all things. There is not nothing outside His purview. There is nothing outside His active control and management for His wise purposes. You see, brothers and sisters, how those who downplay God's absolute sovereignty over all things, how they really diminish God's wisdom. As if God cannot bring uh, good from evil in such a way that vindicates His righteousness and goodness and yet displays His absolute sovereignty that leads us to wonder and worship. He is matchless in wisdom, directing all that He does. He brings good from evil. He accomplishes His perfect sovereign will in ways that, that never would occur to man and in ways that glorify him. Remember the great doxology that concludes the 11th chapter of uh, the book of Romans. It's really a, a, a doxology that uh, praises God for the revelation of his righteousness in the way of saving mercy through the gospel that we learn of throughout the first 11 chapters of this book including God's purposes with respect to the Jews and the Gentiles, how God in his judgment, he gave Israel over to blindness of heart so that the Gentiles might receive the gospel and be saved and that by their uh, witness and testimony in turn, the Jews would be provoked to jealousy and many of them would be saved and all of God's people would be would be saved according to his plan. God has committed them all to disobedience that He might have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become His counselor or who has first given to Him and it shall be repaid to Him. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. This is one of those messages, one of those sermons, brothers and sisters, that are designed not to give us detailed practical application in terms of how to, but to quiet our hearts before the greatness of God. Lead us to worship him and wonder at him and to love him. God is matchless in wisdom. Secondly, God's wisdom is supremely revealed in Christ. To God who alone, to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ. In Him, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2 verse 3 says, and again, there are various ways in which we might flesh out uh, how the, the wisdom of God is revealed in Jesus Christ, beginning with his person. Right? We, we tend to think, first of all, of, of what Jesus did for us. But we cannot comprehend what he did for us without receiving the revelation of who he is, the person of Christ, and how the wisdom of God is displayed in the constitution of his person as true man thus qualified to take our place, to be our representative, our substitute, a true man yet uncorrupted by original sin, by his holy conception, uh, by the Holy Spirit, 
in the womb of the Virgin Mary. A true man capable of suffering, capable of shedding human blood, capable of feeling anguish and fear and a desolation of his soul under the reality of God's judgment for sin. And yet true God, having almighty power to save, enabling him to bear God's wrath, giving his work an infinite value. Great is the mystery of godliness. God manifested in the flesh, the subject of eternal wonder and praise and worship, the wisdom of God displayed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace abounding is revealed in the Savior in all wisdom and prudence, Ephesians 1 says. Wisdom revealed by the constitution of his person and by the redemption uh, through his cross. The book of First Corinthians especially extols this. In chapter 1, verse 23, we read, We preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Of God you are in Christ, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You see, the story of of uh, our salvation, it combines features that that leave us amazed with wonder. For one thing, there's the great contrast, isn't there, between uh, the the judgments of men, the, the perceptions and opinions of men concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and the secret purpose of God and the reality. Now, not simply speaking of, of, of his enemies, of, of those who posed, opposed him. Even his own disciples were largely in the dark with respect to the nature of his saving work. Isaiah says, he has no form or comeliness that when we see him, we would desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. His glory was clothed not only in our humanity, but in the humiliation of our humanity as a servant. The disciples were baffled by his talk of death and crucifixion. They couldn't comprehend how God would save sinners through the substitutionary sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was beyond their grasp. And along with the great contrast between human judgments about Jesus and who he was and what he actually did, we have the, the wonder of God's working his righteous will through the evil actions of men and devils. God defeating the, atten- the intention of, uh, of, of Judas, of the Jews, of the Gentiles, that all had their reasons, they all, all had their own motivations for wanting to uh, destroy the Lord Jesus Christ, and they all acted according to their wicked intentions. But God frustrated their purpose, it turned it on its head. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 3, verse 19 and and 20, we read, The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. In bruising the heel of the seed of the woman, 
the serpent's head was crushed in the very same act. What he in his malice uh, considered to be his great triumph was, in fact, his ultimate defeat. God brought about a great reversal from apparent defeat to a smashing victory at the cross of Jesus Christ. And in connection with that, something that is not only true of the Savior, but has been true of of uh, his body, the church, throughout the generations, God accomplishing deliverance through the sufferings and the affliction of uh, God's people. God fulfills his word and his promises in ways that are never dreamed of by human wisdom. In Romans chapter 16, we read of that glorious gospel of God, which was kept secret since the world began. It's described as a mystery, as something that was hidden, something that is only known by its revelation and its accomplishment, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for the obedience of faith. To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ. I know a lot of Christians that uh, would be judged as rather simple-minded by the intelligent people of this world. And comparatively, in many respects, we might say, well, yes, they are in terms of their IQ, in terms of communicative skills and abilities and, and reasoning gifts. And yet you know that the simplest uh, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has a wisdom that is incomparable. It's in an altogether different category than all that of the, the geniuses of this world. Because to know Christ and to put their trust in him is to possess wisdom from God. To know where true wisdom is to be found, where it resides, and where we share in its uh, its grace and blessing. Well, that's wisdom, isn't it? God's wisdom is re- supremely revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, it is through Christ that God's wisdom is the theme of eternal praise forever. Amen. Romans chapter uh, 16 concludes. And this is God's goal, of course, for the revelation of Christ. The unsearchable wisdom or the unsearchable riches of Christ, which Paul and all ministers of the gospel are privileged to proclaim by grace, is that uh, the manifold wisdom of God might uh, be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. And that is the theme of eternal adoration and wonder. Revelation chapter 7 gives us a a preview of that. It gives some insight into that. In verses 9 and following we read, After these things in John's vision I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God 
forever and ever. Amen. Our God is wise. He's wise beyond our grasp. He's wise beyond our our imitation. And that's a subject of eternal adoration, but it's a subject, brothers and sisters, that that begins now, that begins with us who know the supreme revelation of his wisdom. How does that take place? Well, it takes place when we are deeply impressed with the revelation of God's wisdom in Christ. As we trust in his all-sufficiency, an all-sufficiency of grace, and we're established in the faith of the gospel. And this will establish us, indeed, against any kind of false teaching. Paul speaks of, of false teaching, as we heard in, in uh, Romans chapter 16. He says, I urge you, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those are such who do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. And there the word simple is not a reference to those who may be relatively uh, <clears throat> unintelligent or simple in terms of IQ or knowledge, but it's, ter- it's a reference to those who are foolish and who are deceived. But we're protected from that by this wisdom that is found in Christ, a wisdom that is practical, a wisdom which, as we uh, heard this morning, is a matter of sticking to the word of God in doctrine and in life, the wisdom of faith, the wisdom of obedience. And if we are impressed with God's wisdom as we ought to be, that's how we'll show it. This is how God's wisdom in Christ is glorified by us now in this life and the grace that has brought us to this possession of wisdom, true wisdom, and the grace that keeps us on the pursuit of this wisdom in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Well, that will then keep us until we join that uh, throng above that will extol God's wisdom from all eternity. Amen.